listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Continuing in our study of the Gospel of Mark, today I'll be reading chapter 3, verses 7 through 15. Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him. Hearing all that he was doing, they came to him in great numbers from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan, and the region around Tyre and Sidon. He told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, so that they would not crush him, for he had cured many, so that all who had diseases pressed upon him to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and shouted, You are the Son of God. But he sternly ordered them not to make him known. He went up the mountain and called to him those whom he had wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, to be with him and to be sent out to proclaim the message and to have the authority to cast out demons. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks for that reading, Jim. So it's good to be back in the pulpit. Um, I was away for the last two weeks, uh, the last two Sundays. My wife Erin and I took a much-delayed 10th anniversary trip to Paris, which was awesome. Um, And I guess due to the pandemic, it was more like an 11-and-a-half anniversary trip by the time we finally got to go. Um, But we had a great time. Uh, big thanks to Pastor Alicia, who held down the fort while I was gone and covered preaching. Um, if, uh, yeah, yeah, you can clap for her. Heck yeah. Um, if you weren't here the last two Sundays, if you missed either of those teachings, definitely go on our website and check out what you missed, because Alicia did uh, a fantastic job. Oh, you're clapping again. Sorry. <laughs> We're going to talk about demons today totally normal sermon topic, you know. (laughs) Um, I know we're a little late for Halloween. Uh, I apologize about that. Uh, I will do do my best to plan my vacations a little bit better next year, Um, but we're talking about demons today, Um, which is not a topic we discuss often, uh, at least not in this church, Um, but it's something that comes up a lot in Mark's gospel. Mark gives us a lot of these stories about Jesus casting out demons. We saw this maybe a month ago as we were going through the opening chapters of Mark. We touched on it really briefly, but I think it's time uh, for a deep dive into this because it's just going to keep coming up. Uh, Let's reread the first part of our passage uh, just so it's nice and fresh. This is Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, And a great multitude from Galilee followed him. Hearing all that he was doing, they came to him in great numbers from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan, and the region around Tyre and Sidon. Pause for just a second, because I kind of hate when the Bible does this. Um, The Bible, every once in a while, will throw a bunch of place names at us that we've never heard of that mean nothing to us. Um, So let's actually look at a map. Here's a map of this part of the world. It's the Judean province uh, around the time of Jesus. Jesus was operating in Galilee, which is kind of this region right here. Uh, We got our cute little Jesus on the map. Um, 
And the first thing the text tells us is that Jesus headed down to the sea. It's an animated map. Here we go. Um, <laughs> he went down to the sea. Uh, and there were already people from Galilee following him from, like, his neck of the woods. Um, but we're told that people came out to see Jesus from Judea and Jerusalem. That's this region here, um, south of Galilee. Um, but honestly, when you're thinking about this part of the world, think about Judea and especially Jerusalem as like the center of things. This is where the action is. This is where the temple is located. Uh, it's the center of religion and politics. It's where Jesus is going to go and end up on a cross. That's Jerusalem and Judea. Next, we're told that people came out from Idumea. That's this region here to the south of Judea. We're also told that people came from beyond the Jordan River. That's this area on the map, kind of on the, what is that, the right side? I don't know. Was that east? I don't, I don't really do directions. <laughs> but that's the region beyond the Jordan. And then finally, we're told that people came from the region of Tyre and Sidon in the north. So if we zoom out on this map a little bit and get the full picture, Jesus is in Galilee, and the text is telling us that people are coming from everywhere to see Jesus. They're coming from every possible direction to be healed and to have unclean spirits, demons, cast out of them. If you were to use one word to describe Jesus, what would it be? I heard, I heard a murmur, but what? Amazing. Amazing? That works. That's, that's a good one. Um, there's a lot of options, right? Like teacher, healer, prophet. You might go with a political title like Messiah, which means something like king. But if uh, another word that we could easily use to describe Jesus, especially if we're going with Mark's version of the story, is exorcist. Jesus was an exorcist. A focal point of Jesus' ministry was casting out demons. This isn't something we talk about a whole lot. Jesus was an exorcist, and so were his disciples. Check this out. Um, verse 13. Jesus went up the mountain and called to him those whom he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he named apostles to be with him and to be sent out to proclaim the message and to have authority to cast out demons. If you're anything like me, this is the part where you, like, check out mentally, right? Like, it's like, demons. Okay, next story. Let's keep going, right? Because a lot of us don't know what to make of this stuff. For a lot of us, the stuff about demons we find in the Bible is kind of hard to understand, kind of hard to swallow. I know that's not true for everyone. Uh, some of us are fine with this. For some Christians, it's like, sure, demons, why not? The Bible says it, that settles it. If that's you, I am jealous of you. <laughs> um, because this is really hard for me. It's hard to wrap my mind around this stuff. This stuff about demons and unclean spirits is just so foreign to my life, so, so foreign to my faith, my day-to-day, -day, I don't really know what to make of it. In our culture, I, tend, I think we tend to have uh, two extremes on this sort of stuff. Uh, on the one hand, you've got the modern tendency to just dismiss the demonic, to just, like, discount it, uh, make fun of it. Uh, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got this sort of hyper-spiritualization, almost like an obsession with demons and evil spirits and spiritual warfare and that sort of thing. 
Most churches fall in one of these two camps, and I don't find either one all that helpful, personally. I know around here at our church, um, a lot of us are probably more in that modern category, right? That rational, reasonable, scientific way of seeing the world. We see Jesus and the disciples casting out demons. We don't know exactly what to do with that because it doesn't fit in our worldview. So we ignore it. We don't talk about it. We certainly don't preach about it. (laughs) Um, Or worse, we dismiss it. We roll our eyes at it. We make fun of it. Oh, the ancients. They were so silly. We know so much better than them now. We're so much more advanced, so much more reasonable. There's a real arrogance that can work its way into that modern view if we're not careful. Of course, it's never a great idea to just, like, discount an entire idea in the Bible, Um, but I also think this modern perspective tends to overestimate just how much we've gotten over all of this. We just celebrated Halloween, right, like a week ago? Our streets were filled with ghouls and goblins, ghosts. We see uh, ghost hunter shows on TV, haunted house shows, really popular on like the Learning Channel and Discovery, stuff like that, sci-fi. We watch movies about witches and ghosts and the demonic. We are fascinated by this stuff. It even works its way into our language, right? Like if someone is struggling with something, if someone is going through some really big challenge, we say they're working through their demons, right? You hear statistics all the time about the decline of religion in America, and we usually assume that's because we're so rational, so modern, we're over this religion stuff. But the same exact surveys show that like half of all Americans believe in ghosts. Almost 80% believe in angels and demons. We see churches that are closing their doors. We see pews that are half empty. Some of that is probably because of secularization, but maybe some of that is also because churches aren't, aren't addressing the very real spiritual questions that our neighbors are still asking. And of course, we've only talked about one side of this. There's also that other extreme. These churches that talk about angels and demons and spiritual warfare almost non-stop. I was listening to a, a podcast recently about this church that got into some hot water just a few years ago for holding demon trials. Have you ever heard of this? Demon trials? Does that, like, phrase mean anything to anyone? It was new to me. Apparently, this is a thing in some Christian circles. Um, This was a big church out on the West Coast. They were doing demon trials. If someone in the church was suspected by two or more people of having demonic activity in their lives, they would be called in front of church leadership for basically like an inquisition. They'd have to answer all these questions about their history, um, their past sins, really personal, invasive stuff. And this was a church of like 20,000 people. This was a big church like five years ago. And of course, the people who were usually submitted for these demon trials were usually folks um, who were experiencing mental health crises, um, women who were in abusive relationships, people who had had uh, some kind of trauma in their lives. This church was actually telling people like, don't see a therapist, don't go to a doctor, don't end the relationship, we'll deal with it spiritually. 
so dangerous. Some of us are hesitant to talk about this stuff because we find it strange or irrational, but some of us are weary around this stuff because of the damage it can do. Very real damage. Some of us have probably even been affected by some of that. So we got the two extremes. Um, Thankfully, the Bible gives us an alternative, a third way, if you will, that I find a lot more helpful. So with the time we've got left today, uh, let's get into this a little bit. I want to tease out uh, a few principles that I think can help us as we navigate these strange stories about demons and casting them out in Mark's gospel. First one's this. The Bible assumes the existence of a spiritual realm while telling us almost nothing about it. I'm going to read that one again. The Bible assumes the existence of a spiritual realm while telling us almost nothing about it. Believe me, I've checked. We don't get a lot of details about this stuff in Scripture. Um, Most of the things that you have probably heard in the popular imagination about angels and demons— aren't in the Bible. The Bible doesn't tell us what exactly demons are, uh, where they come from, what their powers are, how they operate. We're given almost no information about this stuff, all the things we would wonder. Uh, Most of the stuff that we think we know about angels and demons and the spirit realm, most of it comes from like medieval mythology and Hollywood. It is not in the Bible. The Bible doesn't seem interested to give us a lot of the details. But the biblical authors did assume, they took it as a given, that the spiritual realm is real, that it exists. They presupposed this, like well in line with the rest of the ancient world, and like 80% of people today, that the spiritual realm is real, that there are spiritual forces beyond what we can see and understand. When Aaron and I were in Paris, um, One of the highlights for me was the catacombs. Uh, Has anyone here heard of the Paris catacombs? They're amazing. Um, Underneath the city of Paris, you find miles and miles of these underground tunnels. They're left over from like medieval mining operations. And uh, starting in the 1700s, a portion of these tunnels got converted into catacombs. I've got pictures of them here. Julie, you can just kind of cycle through them slowly. Um, But the people of Paris took all the mass graves from the plague years, all these medieval cemeteries that were like overflowing, and they relocated the remains of more than six million people to these catacombs in like the 1700s. And for like 20 euros, you can just go down there and explore. It's amazing. I'd be lying to you if I said that I felt nothing while I walked through there. It was wild. Did I see like a ghost or a demon? No. But surrounded by that, by all that death, the bones of people who lived centuries ago, maybe even a thousand years ago, some of them, it felt sacred, it felt eerie, it felt otherworldly, and it was a good reminder of just how little I am and how little I really know of the world. We are dust. We're made from dust. Someday we're going back to dust. So yeah, spiritual reality is beyond what we can see and understand. I buy that. 
I don't understand it, but maybe that's because I'm not meant to. The Bible assumes the existence of a spiritual realm while telling us almost nothing about it. That's point number one. Point number two is that the Bible also assumes that some of these spiritual forces are evil and mean to do us harm. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, uh, we see that Jesus is all about the business of liberation. Um, Jesus confronts the oppressive powers of his day, religious authorities, political authorities, spiritual authorities. He goes toe-to-toe with them in order to bring about our liberation. Jesus names these powers, he exposes them, he casts them out, and then he sets us free. We see this when Jesus debates the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day. We see it when he casts out the money changers from the temple. Same language, casts out as demons, these people who were um, profiting off of religion. We see it when Jesus goes toe-to-toe with Pontius Pilate, and it's the same thing when he casts out demons. The Apostle Paul writes about this, and he uses the language of principalities and powers. I've always found that a little bit easier of a way to frame it. This idea that there are principalities and powers at work in our world, in government, in business, in the spiritual realm, in religion, and that some of these powers seek to do us harm. We still recognize this sort of thing today, we just use different language. Like, um, we talk about the system, right? How the system is corrupt. Um, We have these awesome protest bands like Rage Against the Machine. That's like one of my favorite bands, Rage Against the Machine. Um, What machine are they raging against? (laughs) Is it like a copier or a coffee maker? Is there, can this system be rebooted? No, (laughs) it's a metaphor, right? We're a post-industrial society, so we use mechanical language for this stuff. People in Bible times used spiritual language, principalities and powers. There are forces operating in our world beyond what we can see and understand. Some of those are corrupt, and some of those mean to do us harm. And that's why our third and final point is so important. None of these forces stand a chance against Jesus. It's a good amen line. Thank you for that. None of these forces stand a chance against Jesus. Um, Jesus went toe-to-toe with the powers of his day. Demons, kings, priests, scribes, you name it. And he won. They crucified him. They killed him. And he still won. And it's that victory, Jesus' victory over death, that empowers us to face all the evil and corrupt forces that are still at work in our world today. Now, I could go the easier route and talk about, like, corporate evil and justice and things like that, which is important, and we talk about a lot here, Um, but I'm going to tell you a trickier story to share about a friend of mine who saw a demon. When I was in high school, um, I had a friend who swore she saw a demon. Uh, It started when she was around 10 years old and continued for years. Uh, She would see this dark figure in her bedroom late at night. It wasn't human. Um, It had this 
long face that she couldn't make out. The figure was all black. She would describe that it had these long, skinny arms and fingers, and she would swear that this thing was in her room at night. It would hover over her, and she would be frozen, unable to move. She swore she saw a demon. And we all thought she was nuts. Um, me and my friends, we would like laugh at her because we were, well, we were terrible friends. Um, but we would be like, we'd be like, come on, come on. You're dreaming. It's a night terror. Maybe you need to check your medication. We dismissed it. We dismissed her. And we grew up, we drifted apart like you do, um, stayed friends on Facebook for what that counts, which isn't much, uh, but uh, we settled, I settled down, my friends settled down, you know, separate lives, got married, she had kids, and then one day out of the blue, about five years ago, um, this friend of mine reached out to me on Facebook, and it was like, oh wow, I haven't heard from this lady in like 10 years, I wonder what's going on with her. We sent a few messages back and forth, and then we ended up talking on the phone because she was frantic. Her daughter, who was in middle school at the time, same age my friend was when all this stuff started with her, had been waking up screaming every night for two weeks, saying that she saw an all-black figure in her room with a long face, long arms and figures, exact same thing my friend described to me. I was like, no freaking way, right? Like, I, I didn't know what to say. Um, I asked her, like, did you tell your daughter about that stuff? Did you ever describe any of that to her? She's like, no, no, of course not. I never said a thing to her about this. What do I do? And I was like, I don't know what to do. And she's like, how do you not know what to do? You're like a theology professor. And I'm like, we don't really talk about this stuff anymore. Um, but I really wanted to help her. So I called around to some clergy colleagues in her area and I found a Catholic priest who had had some experience with exorcisms. Um, she called him up. He went to her house when her husband was at work and the kids were at school. Um, she didn't even tell her daughter about it because she didn't want to freak her out. But this priest did an exorcism of her house. He went around burning incense. He sprinkled holy water in her daughter's room. He said prayers. He invoked the name of Jesus. And her daughter never had another vision. It just stopped. The figure was gone. I can't tell you what that means exactly. I can't give you much certainty. I don't know if they saw a demon, if it was a night terror, but what I can tell you is that the forces of evil in our world don't stand a chance against the power of Christ. Whatever demons you're facing in your life, whether they are metaphorical or structural or literal, they don't stand a chance against the power of Jesus. Jesus calls out whatever forces are oppressing us. Whatever powers in our lives are seeking to do us harm, he names them, he exposes them, and he sets us free. So call on the name of Jesus. Call on the support of your Christian family, your friends, your pastors, people at this church. If you're having a mental health crisis, call a doctor. Get therapy. Get help. And join in the work of liberation. And when all else fails, call an exorcist. <laughs> Maybe. Let's pray. <clears throat> 
God, we do not know what to make of this stuff. We confess that we are small, that there's a lot we don't understand, and that there are powers at work in our world beyond what we see and understand. But God, we also know, we trust, we have faith that you sent Christ into the world to liberate us from everything that enslaves. God, give us the courage and the boldness to live into that freedom. Help us to join you in the work of liberation. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.